This is the Crit RPG Podcast, your one-stop shop for everything Lit RPG, Progression Fantasy, and Royal Road. Welcome to the Crit RPG Podcast, a podcast where we support smaller indie authors. And speaking of which, with me today is Void Herald. You may have heard of him. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> It's great to have you on the show. Um, I know this has been a little bit ad hoc. Uh, we talked, I think, uh, three days ago, and uh, I asked you just on a whim, like, hey, do you want to come on? And you said yes. So thank you. How are you doing? Well, very fine. No? As I said, I'm uh, uh, currently in Malta, which is very good uh, summer time. I'll go abroad to meet with some others, which uh, is something I've been looking for uh, for like uh, years, you know, exchanging mm -hmm. with uh, people I I discussed on the net and uh, finally trying to meet them in the flesh. That's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because even if you can create, you know, some very powerful bond with people who have been exchanging for years, uh, etc., with message, etc., it's still always different to see the person in the flesh to do activities and, uh, you know, actually shake out <laughs> in the real world. So that's in the personal life. I'm pretty fine. I just finished my... Uh, one of my uh, stories, Apocalypse Temer. I don't know if you have uh, been informed about it. I haven't been informed that you finished it, but um, I have been aware that it exists. It's still on my to-read list. Oh, okay. But uh, yeah, I just finished it. And that's why, you know, I launched Commerce on Pro and uh, mm -hmm. I launched another story uh, next week that I finished uh, I finished it and then uh, I moved on to, 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 to my current projects. <laughs> Uh, so you want to keep releasing stories until every single story on Rising Stars is yours? Is that the plan? <laughs> uh, that uh, for Rising Stars, that's uh, I, I admit I I no longer truly understand how that thing goes works because you know they, they change the algo uh, yeah. every few years and uh, yeah I had liked three of my stories that uh, you know got shafted uh, because of the of the growth algorithm. Oh yeah, yeah. So far, it seems to be working fine. So it seems I have finally shed the the, the, the curse I had on, on that front. Actually, that makes me ask. I mean, you've been on Royal Road for longer than most people. I think I've been there for four years. Yes, five. Mm -hmm. I think it started in uh, two thousand nineteen. I think. Okay. Do you want to talk about how that came about? Uh, yeah, sure. To give details, uh, I started to publish uh, professionally, like original work of my own creation. Mm -hmm. I was uh, inspired to do that by Wilbo, the author of Worm. He's uh, like one of the pioneers of the wave fiction uh, space. So I was inspired to, to, to write my own stuff. I started on blogs. Mm -hmm. But um, writing on blogs is very difficult because writing stuff is only like 20% and the 80% is spent trying to market your blog to try to get people to, mm -hmm. to see it or in search engine or the like. And uh, in the end, I found Royal Road. I don't remember exactly why I found it. I think I was doing uh, some research on website. I really liked the interface. It really felt professional and useful. And uh, I started publishing uh, on it. And eventually, uh, yeah, I, uh, first story didn't work too much. It was something called uh, Magic Online. Mm -hmm. A bit too overambitious, you know, trying to do too many things at once. But I, I refined my craft. I uh, launched Vanker, which worked well, and the perfect run. Mm -hmm. And I am on my ninth story, I think. 
a ninth story in four years? In four years, yes, I think I do like uh, one or two, uh, one or two players. That must be nice. Ah, uh, but I have uh, a quick pace. Uh, if you want, a reader of mine actually sent me um, uh, one of the trilogy I've written, Keros. And uh, you know, when you compare the size of what is only like a trilogy, uh, a free book out of nineteen that I have written. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's one of the nine stories I have written on Royero so far, but its content is equivalent of three, uh, three books that are uh, on Amazon. When you realize that these are just like something I wrote like uh, nine months or so, and it's only three, three books of 19, it's, uh, it puts into perspective how much the world's we professionals author to sit share, I think. Yeah. You compare with people like Shotaloon or, uh, Zogarth publish, produce like five chapters a week. Mm-hmm. If you had all of it in paper, in paper format, it would put into perspective the, the, the sheer of words we produce. I think if you put all those words into paper, I think it become like a weapon that's illegal to carry in Texas. <laughs> so one thing I did notice, though, is that most of your novels, especially the perfect run, are still very, very high on best rated on Royal Road. How much time do you spend editing your stuff? A lot. Uh, actually, I had that conversation on uh, my forum recently where someone asked me uh, how many words I wrote per day. Mm-hmm. And uh, I answered it's, uh, I feel it's a bit, not say it's an immature question, but it's something that misguided because, uh, like for Commerçant Pros, uh, my current story, mm-hmm. the first chapter is like, uh, I think it's 700 words, pardon, uh, 7,000. But uh, it's like the fifth version of the draft. Mm-hmm. Uh, it started as an Isekai, I wrote it as uh, in a modern day, and uh, right now it's a pure fantasy story uh, with a native, uh, native protagonist, I mean, protagonist from that war. Mm-hmm. So, you know, even if I say, okay, I write like, I don't know, an arbitrary number, like 3,000 words or 5,000 words, it doesn't really represent the actual work because a lot of my uh, writing style is... A bit like iteration, like I create a first version, mm-hmm. then I reedit it into a second, then a third, mm-hmm. and uh, until I'm satisfied with the content, so to say. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I try to focus on quality. Uh, I had some issues with uh, Tamer, which I went uh, went through in the the last notes. Is that with uh, some of the recent stories, I, you know, I kept a very strict schedule, like three chapters each week, mm-hmm. and many times I felt I was only producing a chapter because I had to produce a chapter on that day. Okay. Rather than because I was happy with the, the results. Okay. And I think it costs quality to, to suffer a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's, I'm currently trying something of a new schedule with my current stories where I release chapters only when I feel it's uh, it's complete. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think quality has uh, improved a lot. I think that's a very good point. Where serials in general do feel like they feel because they have the schedule. You have to get stuff out. I originally started publishing my own stuff because I wanted to keep writing and I wanted people to force me to keep writing and not stop and to stop being a perfectionist about it and release all my stuff. But I definitely can't see where you're coming from because I still go back to my older chapters and go like, this doesn't work at all. I wish I could edit this right now. I I wish I could chop out this part in the middle and then start it again. I was actually wondering if you first finish the book and then publish it in like small chapters, 
But I think your schedule, the way you say it, makes sense. If you're a big shot, I think that's actually a pretty valid strategy. Mm. Uh, I will uh, just first rebound on what you said earlier and answer mm. a question. But for, uh, I think there is a, like a right middle ground between like having a schedule that creates accountability mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, trying to work on chapter quality. Mm -hmm. Because even if I say, okay, I release one chapter when I feel it's finished, I still try to produce at least one or two chapters a week. That makes sense. At least a minimum threshold to not fall into, uh, into complacency. But I feel that Every author has like a minimum, uh, minimum hotspot, you know, like, mm -hmm. you know, they, they know they can produce, uh, that many chapters, uh, a week without so much effort. It's like, you know, the, the minimum they can do. Mm -hmm. And having uh, someone that forces you to stay accountable is one of the good side of, uh, web, uh, website writing. I completely agree with you. Mm -hmm. I've done experiments. Uh, when you have like an outside pressure, It's much easier to force yourself to work than if you, than if you answer only to your own conscience. But when the schedule becomes too, like, too much in quantity, at one point it just becomes creating quantity because of those high pressures. And, uh, it's when it starts being a problem. And it's, uh, it's an issue that some authors I've discussed with, uh, faced in, uh, faced in the past. Like, you know, they had to scale down because they put too much pressure on themselves because they don't want to disappoint their readers and, uh, mm -hmm. It's very, uh, some of them, you know, they are afraid of losing patreons or the like, because it's, uh, there is a financial aspect to take into account. Mm -hmm. But it also threatens their mental health and uh, well-being because they, at one point, they, they no longer enjoy writing their own stuff. As creative people, you know, you can't really separate, uh, uh, your mental state from your work. Mm -hmm. And, uh, of course, you know, there's, the opposite, like, you know, some people, uh, can produce five chapters a week, no problem. And uh, it's, they're fine, you know, creating quantity. It's interesting on this difference, but uh, it's uh, the, the question of trying to finding an equilibrium between uh, your accountability and uh, the number of chapters you produce. We'll be back after a quick break. If you're listening to this, then this ad spot is for purchase. Please contact me on Discord or any other social media channel for further details. Also, please consider subscribing to my Patreon for ad-free episodes and bonus material. Thank you so much for listening, and let's get on with the show. So, Schurteloon mm? talked about this too, right? He actually mentioned that in one of his posts on Reddit, that he increasingly became burned out because he felt like he had to push out those words. That's not a good thing. And you do produce better stuff that will actually get you farther if you are calmer. And if you actually enjoy what you're writing instead of it feeling like a slog, I actually very much respect your approach of having a story, finishing it, and then starting a new one instead of having one story that goes for ages. Thanks, but it's still a very risky move uh, to do what I do. With short, I perfectly understand this, this position, but... I think that still a lot of readers in the web novel and uh, web production space, they aren't as much interested in like quality stuff as, uh, you know, a story that is part of their daily routine. It's a bit like those TV series, you know, that go on for like mm -hmm. 400 episodes with uh, an episode a day. It's more about something that they 
know that resonate with or to what they become emotionally attached. Just compare, you know, the, my Patreon numbers with some people who have been uh, mm -hmm. writing stories for like ages. When you create write story for like ages, you know, you be become part of the daily life for people and uh, uh, they subscribe to your Patreon for the long term. It stays for a while. Mm -hmm. In my case, when I finish the stories, I have to prove myself all over again with the next one. So it's wide swings in number of followers and like, mm -hmm. if you're in it for the money, I would actually advise against what I'm doing because clearly there is more uh, money in like doing a work that goes on for a very long time and publishing each day, etc. <laughs> yeah. Than uh, finishing stories and then moving on to the next one, like uh, what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Because in that case, you know, you, you, you may lose some of the older audience and you have to prove yourself all over again, etc. Only a very small fraction of uh, readers, I feel, follow the author. Mm. So most of them, they follow the, the story. In, uh, to give ver a very extreme example, look at Harry Potter, uh, Harry Potter's writer, J.K. Rowling. Like Harry Potter is a media juggernaut, but uh, when she publishes uh, Polystory, it gets some success on, based on, uh, on her name and uh, quality of her work, but it's nowhere near the, the huge marketing juggernaut that Harry Potter was. I think it is that Rowling wrote something completely different. The other counter example I would have is, of course, Brandon Sanderson, where people keep following his stuff. But okay, actually, he's writing one giant book, The Cosmere, right? So I definitely see a point, yeah. Brandon Sanderson. Yeah, I would say that it's a very special case because all of his work are in the Cosmere or uh, Cosmere universe. Mm -hmm. And they're the same genre. Like, he's not, uh, he hasn't moved from like fantasy to, uh, to police or science fiction. Like, he, well, with the exception of still art, I would say. And in Skywarned? Uh, Skywarned? I don't think I have uh, read this one. It's, um, how to tame your dragon. What about the spaceship? Ah, okay. But uh, still, the point remains that like 80% percent of his book or fantasy stories set in the in the same multiverse, mm -hmm. so he's not really uh, uh, making white swings uh, like uh, J.K. Rowling's or what I've done. Like I've moved from a story of a dragon with his sidekick in a fantasy world to a post-apocalyptic uh, sci-fi superhero story. <laughs> uh, in, in this case, you know the jump paid off, but. When I moved that forward, you know, to a dark fantasy, uh, a bit more gothic, uh, I lost a lot of people uh, from one to the other simply because of the, the genre change. But um, I'm, I'm glad you answered it. And uh, for the question of land and uh, stuff is that a lot of the work I've done was ever partly inspired by my own experience or like uh, things that happened to friends or... Uh, mm. And you know that... Um, the feeling of like you're trying to reconnect with your friends that you have lost sight of for a while and you realize that in the between years they, they have changed and you know the, the relationship as well may not be uh, live up to the, the, the old expectation you had, etc. is something that I think a lot of us have gone through. Uh, when you, mm -hmm. I mean, part of the perfect thing is that when you strip it of all the uh, superhero and sci-fi, etc. Mm -hmm. uh, what I wanted to write there was like, there was someone struggling with loneliness and uh, depression, like you know the, the inability to connect with uh, 
with others because of his ability or his lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Something that I have personally struggled struggle with as well. You know, this, mm-hmm. uh, the sentiment of solitude or uh, etc. So I think that's why it, it resonates with many people, including you, is that this emotion or something that we, I think we've all dealt with at one point or another in our life. Mm-hmm. And to, to go back to what you said about overly RPG, it's there. Because many of these stories as well, you know, they don't really establish a character, a personality different because the character, the, the viewpoint protagonist is usually like, uh, someone who is transported from another, from Earth to, uh, to, mm-hmm. to whatever planet this is. And it serves as a standing for the reader, you know, it's easier for um, the hero to, to, to relate to the character when he's a blank state, you know. When you give him a very strong personality, uh, you know, so sometimes that drops off uh, people. Like, I have many people who tell me that, you know, they are, they don't like the perfect trend simply because Ryan's personality represents the wrong way. So on the other hand, reading a good book is like making a new friend. That's why you're sad when it ends because you will never see that person again. Right. Yeah. So I think there's a gamble in it. Without like wanting to brown nose, but I think you really did it super well, like especially in the perfect one. And I also think like towards like as Vainker really grew, that was also like something really special for me, kind of going off on a tangent, I guess. But um Yeah, but that's tangents that create uh interesting discussion, so <laughs> exactly. What's the best advice you've ever gotten as a writer? Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say I've really ever gotten advice as a writer because I never had a mentor or anything. Mm-hmm. But there is an experience that really stayed with me and still influenced my writing today. Have you ever read Naruto, the manga? <laughs> yeah, I have. When I was young, I was, uh, when I was young, putain, I feel like an old person when I say that. I'm just 29. Uh, when I was uh, a teenager, uh, I was uh, really focused on the Naruto manga. Mm-hmm. And uh, another manga that I followed was Full Metal Alchemist. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So two stories I was very much interested. And uh, when I was like super, uh, uh, super interested in Naruto, I felt like, you know, it reached its peak like two thirds in. Mm-hmm. And uh, that it should have stopped there. Mm-hmm. But it kept going, you know, for a while until I lost, uh, I wouldn't say I lost all interest in the stuff, but it really uh, reduced my moral enjoyment of the of the thing. I read a lot of content that, uh, like the author wanted to stop at one point, but got, uh, the publisher wanted to, to, to milk the co, so to say. <laughs> oh no. A bit further, so he carried on, uh, longer than he, than he should have. And I compared that feeling with what I had when Full Metal Alchemist finished. Like Full Metal Alchemist was finished on the high notes. You know, there was no, uh, uh, it was much shorter than Naruto, but it finished. Uh, it was like, uh, success from from start to end mm-hmm. and it's really informed my philosophy that you know ever you stop something when you feel it's good like you know everything has a, a lifetime you know where it's good and uh, if you, you it's like me you know you can keep it in the fridge and it's still good but if you try to keep it up for like months or something it's going to to get uh, get bad mm-hmm. and uh, it's it does influence my writing like i feel like I prefer to finish stuff when it's good and so that it stays forever good, like it stays in memories in a good way, uh, mm-hmm. all that, than uh, continuing to write uh, something beyond mm-hmm. what should be its life expectancy and 
till it turns into a zombie like the Simpson or, or something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't think many people actually know this. Even people who are like very, very high up in the stratosphere of the RPG, they can make like more than a good living out of this. But chances are, if you're reading a story on, on Royal Road, mm -hmm. then it's probably the case that the author that you're following would really appreciate your your money on Patreon if you have to spare it because it's, it's a very tough job. It's a tough job, yeah. And uh, personally, I can only write as much as I do because of the kind of support of my patrons and readers. Mm -hmm. So, you know, trying to... A lot of photos, you know, they write their story on the side which they must keep a main job. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I caught myself as lucky that I managed to make writing my job, but a lot of people... They have to struggle between like writing on this on one side and uh, keeping their main career on the other, and uh, of course helping them is going to make a difference. It means like turning a patient into a career. I mean, m many authors out there put the information out, and if you've read it a lot, you've probably seen AMAs, and you will know that most people are getting by on what is pretty much minimum wage. And those who aren't, they have like a full day job, like you said. Yeah. It's kind of unsustainable at times, but at the same time, you're doing it because it's fun. And if you're doing it because it's fun and you're not falling into that trap and here we are again with emotional self-control, yeah. then keep going as long as it's fun. Because if it stops being fun, then you don't owe anyone anything. I completely agree. And uh, I will say something more is that we're fortunate to live in an age where, uh, you know, you have things like Amazon, etc., that makes it much easier to live off writing. Yeah. Because I've discussed with people from Hachette, you know, the, the main publisher of uh, the few years back, which is one of the biggest publishers ever. And some of the authors, even if they sold a lot, because like the company took like, you know, 90 or 95% of the royalties between the libraries, the paper, etc. They, they still add to side gigs on the side. Mm -hmm. Things like Amazon, Patreon, etc. They make it much easier for an audience to, to support you because like for, to, to even earn from more than the minimum, minimum wage in writing, in traditional publishing, you need to sell like lots, yeah. very like a hundred times what most of us uh, publish just to get like a minimum, uh, minimum wage. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, we're fortunate to live in the current uh, current era where you, you have tools that let you let you feel free of self, so to say. Comparing, for example, I think Patreon takes like seventeen percent or nineteen percent, and compare that to the ninety percent that big publishers used to take. You would never, ever, ever be able to out earn your fans. Yeah, exactly. So, what is one thing that you have learned while writing? or that you've improved on significantly and that you would love to go back and improve on your older works? Uh, it's something I've tried to do with some of my uh, my works. So the main thing is that I've realized that if you do too many things at once, you don't do any of them well. <laughs> okay. I think a story is like a bullet, you know. Mm -hmm. It works, it goes farther and it goes deeper when it's optimized, mm -hmm. you know. You don't put in superfluous things and you just focus on one or... Uh, one point, but um, and if you try to do too many things at once, it just ends up misshapen. And, and that's something I've done with uh, my first work, Magic Online. 
something I tried, like a lot of stuff. It's, it was a story about, uh, no rebellion on earth. It had some, uh, it had page elements. It had the color systems that I would later refine in the perfect trial. Mm -hmm. It had lots and lots of characters. It was trying to be too many things at once. Mm -hmm. And it floundered under the, the weight of, of all the stuff. Yeah. And, uh, but in time, you know, I took like specific aspects of that, uh, prototype story, the color system that ended up the perfect runs, the factions that ended up going to apocalypse timer, etc. Oh, cool. And once they refined it, it works much better. Mm -hmm. One of the things I would tell my older self is like, don't try to do too many things at once, focus on one, uh, one aspect of, uh, of the work and it will work out better that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Staying focused. I agree with you. However, if you are writing for fun and you just want to see how much stuff you can fit into a story, go ahead. Yeah, but I would advise against that because if you try to fit too much stuff, you lose track of it. And it's, it's like, you know, putting too much weight on yourself. Absolutely. Maybe you can carry a lot, but eventually you get crushed and you struggle. It's not, uh, it's not a good experience. It doesn't help you progress too much. That's true. I think I'm saying that from a coaching perspective, where I would say, well, go ahead and do it. You're not going to die from it and you're going to have a good experience. But on the other hand, uh, on the other hand, the more I grow older, the more I think that people learn by experience. Exactly. You can give them all the advice you want, uh, unless they have personally experienced it. It doesn't always fully resonate with, uh, with them. The only thing I would recommend anyone is doing stuff. Yeah, exactly. I had that conversation with uh, Selkie, who is the author of uh, Beneath the Dragon is Moon. Mm -hmm. And he said uh, something that, like Nike, you know, the company Nike, it's the gun, just do it. Yeah. It's still the best thing because it's better, you know, to, to just try it out and learn from it that like waiting for the perfect opportunity because no opportunity mm -hmm. is always going to be perfect enough for you. They also say that a lot of people uh, that I see were very good and could be like professional writer. Every friend was worked like, I think five years of sci-fi series, which is very good. They kept telling him like, but he thought, you know, uh, try out on Amazon, see can work, but he doesn't because it's never perfect enough or he's just waiting, you know, for the, ah. the, 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 the perfect opportunity. And the result is that nothing is done. And, uh, uh, his work sits on a shelf and, uh, unknown to the world. Mm. And I think that a lot of people are like that. They say, okay, I, I'm waiting for the perfect offer, the perfect people to notice me. Okay. So what's one new book that you love and why is it awesome? So far, uh, I've been currently reading the Scholomance uh, series by Naomi Novich. Ah, oh. Which is a quiet, uh, it's, it's basically like a deconstruction of Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. The studies, uh, what life would actually be in a, a magical school that is besieged by, by monsters and where you have like the, the class system and all the economic and personal inequalities that you have outside the world that bleed into the, the education system. Mm -hmm. A lot of the issues that you have today with uh, education, like, only people from rich or wealthy family or big cities, you know, they get a quality education because their parents can pay for it. Mm -hmm. With a lot of, uh, lot of people, you know, even if they technically go to the same school, they didn't have the same opportunities or uh, support, etc., mm -hmm. and they struggle a bit more. 
it was a very, it's a very, I think, interesting uh, vision of the school system. It's one of the series I um, enjoyed a bit, even if sometimes I feel the, the, the main protagonist is not my cup of tea. The protagonist is a bit like, uh, we'll say, a tsundere. <laughs> Sorry to say, uh, to say that. <laughs> uh, to, to say that. So, you know, sometimes it's uh, a bit too much, I think, but generally a good book, uh, in general. I credit Mechanimus Jiwa, which is the author of uh, Journey of Black and Red, for uh, uh, for suggesting it to me. Uh, mm-hmm. And otherwise, another book that I was really impressed by is uh, The Fifth Season uh-huh. by uh, Jamie Sin. It's a trilogy of uh, books like the, the Fifth Season, the, Stos- the Sun Sky, and the Bellis Gate. I don't know if you have uh, heard of them. It's incredible. And all the more because it's written in the second person, like you. Ah, oh wow. I was super impressed by the writing style, the world, and the universe that was developed. It's I mean, one of my top fantasy books, uh, Song of Ice and Fire from Giamata. It's the uh, same, uh, same level of, uh, of craft for me. And it's finished. It's a full trilogy. So if anybody wants to check it out and, uh, and it's, it's, it's good. A Finnish fantasy series in 2023. What are you talking about? This is impossible. Have you read The Lies of Loch Lamora? Uh, nope. I think you would enjoy that. It's 90% witty banter. It's a heist story in a magical Venice. <laughs> okay. I'm actually a big fan of Italy. and uh, like I've been to Venice as well. It's, it's one of uh, very good memory. It's my experience with Italy is that if it inspires the perfection, etc. So I, yeah. So something in the fantasy Venice, I think I would love it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice of Clock Lamora. Okay. So that brings me to the question, what do you have against Monaco? No, I actually like Monaco, but it was, um, what to say that? Um, <laughs> I've had a lot of running at one point in, uh, at one point in my life, I went to Brussels, you know, the, mm-hmm. for two, because my background before I went into writing was in law and, um, originally my, my goal was to work in the European institution. Mm-hmm. Until I actually met the European institution and I saw the, the bureaucracy. So, <laughs> so I, I'm still a European. I, I think that you, you need to have a strong Europe and it's one of the best things that happened to, to the continent in years, but there is some room for improvement. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, at one point I met, uh, people that were like, you know, micronation guys, you know, mm-hmm. people that tried, you know, to buy a small piece of land and say, okay, this is my nation. This is uh, like an independent country with its own passport, etc. <laughs> and uh, I just had, you know, like that idea of uh, like a small, uh, small, like North Korea country, you know, which is like run by some nut job. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that war with other small uh, micro nation because nobody else recognizes him? <laughs> you know the, the message. The, the, the idea that was in my uh, in my head, and that really influenced Monaco because, like in Monaco, you. In the perfect train, for those who don't understand it, Monaco basically became a pocket dimension uh, where it's run by uh, some other force, you know, that is completely insane. And you have a lot of uh, calls where you say, okay, we are at war with uh, San Marino and uh, Luxembourg, you know, the, the very small countries. <laughs> and uh, that's, uh, that's one of the things that really inspired it. And uh, I think I picked Monaco because uh, Monaco is actually, you know, one of the countries I don't really hear a lot in fiction. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, because it's basically like a small city like Luxembourg. 
and uh, I, I just like you know the ambiance of the Monte Carlo casinos. Uh, mm. It really felt like you know like a small island of this in a in a very uh, taxable <laughs> taxable France right around it. <laughs> the mind works in mysterious ways sometimes. You do seem to like your casinos. The start of of your new novel is also set in a casino, yeah. But yeah, because I feel like casinos are uh, a microcosm of uh, the human nature, like the addiction to risk. Mm -hmm. The first scene of uh, Commerçant Pro, you know, you have uh, the main protagonist that kind of discuss uh, with someone about probabilities and the the fact that, you know, the person isn't actually looking to win money. They're just, you know, mm -hmm. trying to beat the horse uh, because it, what of narcissism uh, is an observation I had with real gamblers, no, they're not really, you know, trying to win money, etc. They're just trying to find the perfect secret uh, that nobody else has found. And which I feel is, uh, is a sign of narcissism and uh, obsession. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I like casinos. So I don't, I don't play, I don't gamble or anything. It's not a way to, to win money, etc. But it really feels like, you know, a microcosm of uh, human natures. And it's a thing where you can see a lot of people for what they really want. For many people, it's it's not about the money anymore. It's about winning. It's about the dopamine. Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, I see a lot of people, it's less or some cause fallacy, you know, they have invested so much that they don't want to lose, uh, to lose on it. Yeah. Casinos are more about pride than, than greed, I think. Getting to the last segment, and that is shout outs. Calculating cultivation. It's been uh, mm -hmm. uh, just pointing it. It was uh, uh, it was uh, an economic story, so it's not going to be for everyone. Like as I said in my review, you barely have any pros or characters, etc. But uh, for me, who likes you know economics and uh, building, etc., it was quite uh, quite interesting. And uh, for Shoto, I would say. I uh, I recommend the stuff from uh, Jiwa or Mechanimus, who has written The Journey of Black and Red and uh, The Calamitous Bob. He's very, he's a good friend of mine and he's, uh, he's been working on a new series as well on the side. Oh, uh, it's not going to, to, to eat Red Rose uh, before a while, I think, but, uh, yeah, he's, check his stuff. He's good. Shout out for me too. I listened to Journey of Black and Red while I was on vacation in Chicago and I just walked through Chicago. Listening to that story, it was, it was really good. It's not a lit RPG, but it is a very friggin' good story about, well, a vampire lady in the 1700s in southern states of, uh, of America. Yeah, it's, uh, it may not be the average, uh, <laughs> the average railroad, uh, lit RPG or cultivation stuff, but it's, uh, good. Okay. I guess for other recommendations that you have, people can always go and check out your reviews. You got five reviews. A review stuff, you know, that I think is, uh, that really moved me enough to, to actually write about them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man, maybe I should do that more often. I saw you, you like Tower of Somnus. I was midway through the second book, but I haven't picked it up uh, again in a while. Uh, funny enough, Tower of Somnus and The Perfect Run are the only two RPG books I've recommended to my dad. So. You're a good company, I guess. Okay, perfect. I, yeah, I really need to get back, uh, get back into it. It's been a while. Huh. Okay. With that being said, I think this is pretty much it. If you've been listening to this so far, you probably already have 
been aware of our Patreon. If you would give me money on Patreon, I would really appreciate it because that would make me be able to produce more stuff. Um, all this recording equipment and all the uh, all subscriptions to several audio hosting stuff is not that cheap. Uh, I was about to say a joke like I should take a commission or something, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, and of, and of course I also need to bribe Void Herald. Okay, just uh, just just click on the affiliate link at the end of the of the podcast. I respect your attempt, you know, to create like podcast and uh, give a voice to to different authors. So yes, yeah, so support this man, support this man. Thank you so much. But it was uh, quite the pleasant, uh, quite the pleasant interview. Yes, yeah. so like. If you want more, if you have more questions or content, you can forward them in my way. Thank you everyone for listening. And I hope to see you next week where we're going to be talking to Mystic Neptune and Jolly Jupiter about their cozy fantasies. It's about beer and tea and biscuits. Thank you so much and goodbye. Bye. This episode has been brought to you by the Council of the Eternal Hiatus. If you're looking for a Discord server to discuss, read, or write lit RPG, this is the place for you. The server's hella queer, so everyone is welcome. You can find an invite link in the description below this episode.